0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Naturally Brown Woman. I am Tammy Williams. And today with me is Genesis Castro. She is Mm -hmm. the network and program manager for the Latino Community Fund of Georgia. Uh, Welcome, Genesis. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a pleasure to have you and to talk about what's going on in the Latino community, uh, you know, with COVID happening and um, the pandemic, tell me, what have you seen um, in the Latino community? What have you seen out there in the field?
1: So we've seen a lot. Um, when the pandemic hit, you know, they closed down a lot of restaurants, they closed down a lot of businesses. And a lot of the businesses that they ended up closing were a lot of the businesses that immigrants, including Latinos, were the tend to work with, right? So a lot of people lost income for at least a month, right? And then when they opened up again, they had less hours. And to top it all off, if you are an undocumented immigrant, or if you are married to an undocumented immigrant, you didn't, have, you didn't get any CARES Act money, you didn't get the stimulus check that a lot of other people received, right? So, we saw large portions of the community miss, you know, have a lack of income for an extended period of time and have no income relief really from the government. So, it was up to a lot of nonprofit organizations, including us and many of our members, to provide that relief. Um, and it was also another issue, too, was that. Because our community was working, also working in some of the essential jobs, right? So like poultry workers, grocery stores, some of the also some of the businesses that stayed open, they were disproportionately affected by the virus. Many immigrants, including Latinos, live in multi-generational households. So we saw when we compared, we did COVID testing with CORE, which is the community organized relief effort. And what we found was that our positivity rates were higher than the positivity rates that the Department of Public Health um, for the COVID testing sites that they were having. So the virus really impacted our community financially, and it impacted them phys- like health-wise as well.
0: Yeah. Did yeah. You, um, did you see like um, as a result of the the, the wages lost? You know, mm-hmm. not being able to work. Um, how were you guys able to help meet those needs? Uh, I mean, I'm sure it was pretty pretty drastic because many people live from you know paycheck to paycheck that mm-hmm. type of thing. So. How were you able to address it?
1: Yeah, so I think one thing that people have been talking about a lot with the pandemic is that it really brought to light issues that already existed, right? So as you mentioned, people were already living paycheck to paycheck. They already didn't have access. They already didn't really have access to a safety net here in Georgia. Another issue too that we saw was that a lot of organizations were providing COVID relief, but a lot of them had requirements like an ID or like um, documentation or social security number. So what we did is we were able to bring in $1.5 million in grants to be used directly for COVID relief. And that we used that for poultry workers in South Georgia and for member organizations. And we we're also able to fundraise only 150,000 in food um, distributions that we did throughout the state of Georgia and $70,000 was fundraised for us to be able to provide PPE.
0: Yeah. Now, now, yeah, I know a little bit can go a long way, but what about, is that still enough? I mean, did that cover or?
1: No, you I know, mean, there is yeah. still a large need. I think what we saw was that a lot of our partners, right? A lot of our members, they all know each other, right? They're in coordination with each other. What we found is that a lot of them run out of money because so they had to keep, but they had to keep fundraising. But they also had to keep serving the community, and you no, know, it was not anywhere near the need. I mean, in yeah. South Georgia specifically, there's a lot of migrant farm workers, and they were again, they were not eligible for the CARES Relief Act, and we were the only ones really providing financial assistance for them down there.
0: So you guys manage over thirty organizations that you work with or have relationships with that are either Latino-led or Latino-serving. Uh, mm-hmm. members, you know, that serve the Latino community. Uh, let's take a look at this video of, of uh, some team, some partners going out and uh, distributing masks.
2: Hola, mi nombre es Yulisa Soto. Soy de Fondos Latinos Comunitarios, Georgia. Yo me encuentro en Tipton, Georgia, y el día de hoy a unos de los trabajadores que trabajan en la agricultura, ellos se encuentran trabajando en el tabaco. Ahorita. Gracias. gracias. ¿Qué tal? Les queremos decir muchas gracias a la financiera por ayudarnos con el COVID-19. Yo que fui afectado, subió el mes y tres semanas. Simplemente les quiero decir muchas gracias a todos por eso y esperamos que sigan ayudando mucha gente que está enferma para que muy pronto pase esto y volvamos a la normalidad. Queremos decirles muchas gracias a todos por eso. donde dice bye, ahi va a y ahi puede dejar eso y adentro de la bolsita le deje unos gel para mascarillas, información para proteccion de inmigracion y
0: su tarjeta que va a quitar So actually, uh, you know, I could hear how grateful, um, you know, the the gentleman there who talked about having COVID for, for a month and how grateful he was for just, you know, having those masks. So, um, so glad that that team Mm -hmm. was able to go out and to distribute that, but I understand still more needs to be done, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because when we, you know, we, we knew there was a need in South Georgia, right? So we were looking for a local organization we could partner with, but we couldn't find one. So that's why we just ended up hiring four navigators who were students um, from the Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College in Tifton, many of them who come from family workers. We were able to hire them, people from the community to go out and provide the relief that was needed in the community.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and, and even with COVID and we're talking about um, students who are English learners, you know, how Mm -hmm. is this impacting them? Um, even with the virtual schooling and mm-hmm. and, um, and for those who've also gone back to the brick and mortar, how has that affected their education? Yeah, so
1: COVID has definitely increased the disparities that already existed between four students of color, including English language learners, right? Mm-hmm. Georgia, every state is federally mandated to provide instruction to English language learners, but many counties in Georgia don't have a policy explaining how they plan to meet that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also like a limited amount of data available for how those students are doing compared to other students. So I think for many of these students, right, they come from families who by default, if they're an English language learner, their parents are probably an English language learner too, right? So if the unless the schools were intentional about providing, Outreach to the families to make sure that they understood about virtual learning and what needed to be done. It was it was obviously very difficult for parents to get involved in their students' education, especially if they either had COVID or had to go work in risky jobs or were stressed because, um, again, the lack of income. Right. So it really, really mitigated a lot. Of, sorry. Increase a lot of the structures that already existed.
0: Yeah, and and some of the things that already existed
1: is, mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, students because they may have the intellect and can mm-hmm. do the work, but because they can't, you know, their English is not as good, quote unquote, mm-hmm. they are placed in remedial classes, and unfortunately, some of them really get stuck there, you know, and can't move forward. So that is a tremendous disadvantage. In fact, let's listen to this young lady who shares her story. Uh, about being an English learner and what you thinks. Hello,
2: my name is Lupita quesado Orozco, and I am a proud Latina and first-generation college student. I am currently a student at Valdez State University majoring in elementary education. I am an alumni for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute, the VSU College Assistance Migrant Program, and the HEP CAMP. Association. I currently hold the positions as a VSU camp mentor and a contractor with the Latino Community Fund, Georgia. I'm only 19 and I hold two jobs, 16 credit hours, and still manage to maintain a 4.0 GPA. Now it has not been easy to work in a system and institution not built for me for students like me. Every day is a struggle. Every day a new battle. So here I am juggling two jobs and 16 credit hours maintaining a 4.0 GPA. And the struggle has been real since since I was a child. Now we ran away from home as a young girl cause my, because of my abusive father. And my mother emerged us into the American schools. We were Spanish speakers, English learners. And English learners in American schools tend to be ignored, tend to be put to the side, tend to be surrounded by students familiar to them. They tend to be tagged along a translator just to Keep them away. Away enough for the teacher to continue doing her job. I am here because I want to be an educator. I am here because I grew up in a broken education system. I grew up seeing my peers kept down. I grew up with them being told that they were not good enough and they believed it because they were stuck in these remedial classes while we were the honor students. The honor students. We're allowed to level up, but the remedial students, nope. You're just, you're just not that good. You're just not that smart. A broken education system.
0: Uh, Wow. What a powerful testimony. Who is the, tell us about the young lady who was telling the story.
1: Yeah, so she's actually one of the navigators who we hired, right, to provide COVID financial assistance in South Georgia. Um, she comes from a family of migrant workers, and she's a student at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, which has a large um, migrant student education program, and she actually wants to be a teacher. She wants to be the teacher that she didn't have um, and be that teacher for other students of color and English language learners. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know what? I want you to address something here. Um for yeah. anybody who would say, well, you know, the primary language is English and, you know, it's their responsibility to learn that type of thing like that. Mm-hmm. Address that. So,
1: yeah, so what I would say to that is that again, the United States does not have an official language um, and every school is mandated to provide instruction to students um, regardless of the language that they speak, right? And what I would also add to that as well is that Georgia benefits, any state benefits when their workforce is bilingual. So by not investing in these students is actually putting the state at a disadvantage because they're missing out on the bilingual workforce, which we know is incredibly important now as the country moves toward globalization.
0: Yeah, so students yeah. are students and kids are kids. And so no matter yeah. what language is being spoken, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter any language, you know, everyone has a right to an education.
1: Right. And it only benefits everyone when everyone is able to learn English and accommodate, how do I say it, acculturate more into the society as a whole when they're able to speak the language.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to paint a picture of, uh, can you imagine a child sitting in a class that knows the information, that has just Mm -hmm. learned everything that they can possibly learn, and they can't move forward because of, of language and not having the, the right resources or uh, whether it's a teacher's assistant or somebody there to help them just kind of move to the next mm-hmm. grade how frustrating that could be so you know imagine that imagine if that's your child sitting there you know mm-hmm. and, and and just you know or maybe your child could speak English but they get put in a, a different class because somebody thinks that they're not as smart, you know, or shouldn't mm-hmm. be in the level two class, and they should stay in the remedial class. How frustrating and angry you would be as a parent! So mm-hmm. imagine that—that's you know that that happening and still happening, and and um, what could be done, and what you could possibly even do to um, help change that system. Uh, getting out to vote—I know you guys have yes. done a big push in getting people out to vote,
1: right? Yeah, so the Latino Community Fund of Georgia, again, because our model is mostly working with member organizations, in 2018, we launched the first collaborative Latino Get Out to Vote effort in the state. It was the first time it was ever done, right? So we worked with partners in the metro Atlanta area, in Dalton, in Gatesville, in Clark County, um, in different parts of Georgia, to do voter registration, to knock on doors, and to encourage Latinos to get out and vote. In 2018, which we know was a very important election year for Georgia, was our gubernatorial elections, we were able to register 679 people to vote. Awesome. In 2020, which again, this is a presidential election, we were able to register 450 people to register to vote. That's with COVID, right? So that was mostly yeah, online yes. outreach. Um, another thing too is that in 2018, you, again, as part of our coalition, um, and, because we want to be intentional about protecting voter rights for immigrants in Georgia. Mm-hmm. We were able to mobilize and member organizations to secure depositions in support of a successful challenge to the state's no match, no vote system, which actually hindered a lot of naturalized citizens from being able to vote. So basically, if you were a naturalized citizen, mm-hmm. because Georgia has, it checks two databases to make sure you're eligible to vote, a lot of people were being flagged as non-citizens, even mm-hmm. though they weren't citizens, right? And it was it, 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 a lot of times Local county board of elections were asking them to come and, you know, check their voter registration status, which was an uh, additional barrier that should not have been done. Right. right. So we were able to get a plaintiff um, for a lawsuit and we were able to get rid of that system through our partnerships.
0: Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. I want us to do some myth busters, if you don't mind. OK, yeah, of I course. want you to just um, give me the top three or top five myths when it comes to the Latino community only
1: three or five okay um <laughs>
0: you said there are so many yeah. <laughs> Give me as many as you like the goal is to educate and you know yeah just share yeah yeah
1: I think one myth which it can, it can be broken down into different myths is that we're there's a myth that we're a monolithic community the ones are a very diverse communities some of us are white some of us are black some of us are mixed right but it gets important yeah. to realize that we come in all different colors we are but the Latino is a necessity, but we all come with different races, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think related to that too, is we come from different countries with different backgrounds. So things that work with one group of people might not work for other group of people. The Latino population in the South, for example, might be different than the Latino population in the Northeast, right? Which is where my family's from, I was born in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing too, is that we, again, because we are so different, right? In Georgia specifically, A lot of Latinos um, who are older lack immigration status, right? But Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of Latinos who do have immigration status, right? Um, Especially the young Latinos. So it's important to recognize that we come, like, again, strategies that work for one group are not gonna work, might not work for another Mm -hmm. group. So it's important to know who you're serving and not just like, are they Latino, but it's like, who, like, what is their background? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are the biggest myths. They're They're the myth too, I think. I see this a lot with COVID relief that like our community is helpless. But we're not helpless like most every community has what they need to
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know every community has what they need to save themselves right we don't need other people to save us we need other people to invest in us so we can save ourselves
0: mm-hmm. because
1: we are the ones ultimately will have the answers um, for the problems that are reaching our community yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. okay thank you you gave me two <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. I know the needs are are tremendous. So if someone wanted to help meet those needs, whether donating their time, their resources, how should they contact you?
1: Yeah, so we can be reached. Again, our website is lcfgeorgia.org. And there you can find information about how to donate, how to sign up to volunteer, we, because of COVID, we do have a lot of virtual volunteer opportunities. Um, so we wanna encourage everyone to go to our website. If you wanna, if you want to volunteer specifically for get out the vote efforts, which are gonna continue even after the runoffs, right? Because of redistricting and everyone is, and everyone is welcome to sign up at bit.ly slash GOTV with LCF.
0: Genesis, thank you so much for your time, for being here with us and for sharing the stories and, um, Uh, and talking about what's happening in a community that um, just kind of bringing awareness and how we can all help.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And I think just hearing your story, I think it makes me think too, like how important it is that if we're going to serve a community, that our system as a whole is designed for that community, right? Because the example you gave of a student not being able to understand the language because the school system wasn't built for them, right? That's also what we saw was COVID, right? People trying to navigate COVID testing, people trying to navigate how to get to the emergency room. If the system is not built for them, if they don't provide a language instruction, if they don't provide additional assistance for people who might not be literate, right? You know, if people aren't going to succeed. Um, yeah. So yeah, Thank you so much for having me here for allowing me to share a little bit about the work that we do and I hope that it encourages everyone to be involved and to make sure that whatever field that they're in that they are fighting to make sure that it's more equitable and accessible to everyone.
0: To everyone and as an african-american mm-hmm. female i understand and know about systems that weren't built yeah <laughs> for <us. So> yeah <laughs> we you understand that you know wholeheartedly but um praise god we, we're all gonna make it through so mm-hmm. uh thank you again for joining us genesis and we will talk to you soon this won't be our last conversation thank you <laughs>